Well, good morning. We're glad that you're with us. If you're joining us online, um, we're glad that you're here as well. We're in the end of our series on endurance. We just started last week with that, so we're going to end today. Um, This short little two-week series, what I find interesting about this is uh, Pastor Doug did a great job last week introducing Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to be back there again today. Uh, He mentioned the fact that he, uh, he had some issues with running. Let's just say that, that if you're a runner, he's like, I don't understand why you would do that. Um, I don't like to run either. So the two guys who really don't enjoy running are sharing with you about endurance, okay? So just take that for what it is. We're excited for this morning to be back in Hebrews chapter 12. Throughout the summer, we looked at Unstuck and what it was to face the challenges that many of us face whether it be uh, death or doubt or depression or anxiety, whatever those challenges might be, we talked about throughout the summer about those challenges and how we can move from uh, being stuck to being unstuck through the hope and glory of who Jesus is. And this morning, as we finish up this short little bridge series of endurance, I want to encourage you that what we look at this morning is to keep that momentum going. Because we know in the midst of the summer, you have vacations, maybe your schedule reduces a little bit, and the kids are a little more active in different things. Um, But now as we move from summer to fall, work schedules pick up, school schedules pick up, the activities of life start to pick up, and all those things that you were moving towards during the summer and thinking, man, I'm getting unstuck, you might hit a place where how do I continue to move forward. And the beautiful thing about God's Word is that it encourages us that there will be kind of ebbs and flows in our relationship with Him, but the encouragement that we find throughout Scripture is to move forward, to keep going, to finish well in the life that God has given us. And uh, Pastor Doug looked at some of those last week in Hebrews chapter 11, those heroes of the faith, not perfect individuals, certainly individuals who uh, messed up, who had their own challenges and different things, but ultimately were faithful to endure. And so this morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12 and find some more encouragement for our endurance, how to finish and run well this race that we've been given. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 12. We're going to read through 17. If you don't have your Bible, you got a handout, um, and on that handout is the scripture passage. So would you stand as we read God's Word in honor of God's Word this morning? Stand with me. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning with verse 12, says this, Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees, Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So that no one is sexually, see that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. All right, have a seat uh, this morning. All right, 
Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 12. In this chapter, as the author writes about endurance, he's talking to us about some of the things that we can hold fast to. There's some warning signs. There's some things that we can heed um, as we go through life and as we seek to live a life worthy of what God has called us to. And as Pastor Doug mentioned last week, he did a great job of explaining the idea of therefore, that if you have an argument like ice cream is good, well, that's great, and many of you would uh, acknowledge that, but if you've never tasted ice cream, then you want to know, I want to tell you some more details. And so Hebrews chapter 12 opened with that therefore, and again here in our passage, our, our author gives us another therefore. In chapter 12, he talks about the therefore. So what is it that he was talking about before? Well, it comes in verse 11. Look at verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 12. He says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Well, thanks, author of Hebrews. I love it. This sounds like the classic example of it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. Have you used, maybe you as parents have used that at times when it came to discipline with your kids? You were like, uh, you know, dad holding up maybe something, maybe it was a belt, maybe it was a wooden spoon, I don't know, maybe it was just his hand or uh, maybe it was mom. This is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. This sounds like in verse 11, what the author is relating that this discipline is painful. Well, thanks. Don't we already know that? We already know that discipline is painful. You know what it was like to be disciplined at school, to go down to the principal's office. Like that's not, unless you were really excited about going to the principal's office, that's not exciting. There's pain that comes with that. Thank you, author of Hebrews, for reminding us that discipline is painful. And then the author says, but this is good discipline. Because we know when God disciplines us, we know it's for our good. God is good. His goodness shines through. And so when God disciplines us, it is for our correction. It is for our training. It is for our endurance so that we can finish our race before us. And so the author says, therefore, what's the therefore? It's because of this discipline. You've endured this suffering, this discipline, therefore, now, verse 12. Here's what he says in verse 12. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Now, let me share with you a story about my life in the last couple of months. A couple months ago, <clears throat> I was getting set, uh, our family was, to have company. And so I was helping around the house and I was doing normal house things, nothing strenuous, nothing crazy. I was just helping to pick up things. I have four kids. Our house sometimes has a lot of stuff. And so I was helping to get ready for our company. And so in getting ready for our company, I did what many of you have done before, and I bent down to pick something up off the floor, but I did not stand back up. My back cried out, no, Matthew, no, you are not getting up. And so be, instead of standing straight up, I ended flat on the floor, screaming, yelling, 
wondering what was going on. I, I was like, am I ever going to move again? Am I paralyzed? Am I, am I going to make it to the couch? What is going to happen? So all these things were running through my head as my back continued to seize up more and more. When I did finally try to stand up, my legs were so weak. I'd never felt such pain before. Now, those of you that have experienced back pain, you know what I'm talking about. But this was the worst that I had felt in many of my years of dealing with my back. And I wondered, these weak legs, my arms felt feeble. And this is what the author of Hebrews is telling us in verse 12. Therefore, you who have feeble arms, weak knees, The imagery you can start to put together, right? Not only my story of back pain and feeling weak, and it just took one trip to the chiropractor to start to set things back in motion, thankfully. Uh, We know this imagery. And in fact, the author knew what imagery he was sharing as well, that the people that were listening to what he was sharing would understand this. This is boxing terminology that he's sharing. You know the picture, right? The, the boxer who is sitting in his corner after several rounds of boxing. And he's sitting in the corner and, and he's like, man, I don't know. They're, they're spraying him with water. They're, they're cutting his eye open so that he can see just a little bit. And he's sitting there and the bell rings and the boxer steps onto the mat, arms down, knees just barely hanging on, puts up those arms and says, I can go another round. The author tells us that if you are one that has these feeble arms, these weak knees, that there is hope for you. There is an endurance that can be had in your life. He goes on in verse 13. Verse 13, he says this, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Now, this seems interesting. How do you start to make a level path? Well, the rest of my story continues that I was in back pain that night and wondering if I was going to be able to walk, get to the bathroom even. But I knew in just a couple of days, my family was headed out for our family vacation And so when I went to the chiropractor, the chiropractor said, hey, Matthew, great, we're going to get this back in order, but here's some recommendations for you for the next week or so. I need you to stay on level ground and uh, don't sit for any long lengths of time. Well, my chiropractor didn't know that my family was headed off to Northern California. Um, That's a few hours in the car of driving. So long time by sitting wasn't going to be possible Um, Also, our trip, uh, what we were going to do on our trip, we were going to the redwoods of Northern California. We were going to the coast of California. We were going to walk through Sacramento, and then we were going to wrap up at Crater Lake hiking. Well, chiropractor, sorry, but I'm not going to be able to do that. But here, the author tells us, make level paths for your feet. Can I tell you that during my vacation, I never walked with such... um, care in my life. Like every path I walked on, I was like this. Oh, looks good. Oh, look at those redwoods. They're so tall. Is there a rock? Is there a root? I never have been so cautious in my walking in my life because I knew something. 
I knew that if the path was straight, if the path was level, that I had a better chance of enduring my family vacation, that my back was going to survive that family vacation. Now, you would look at that and say, how do I make level paths? What does the author mean when he's talking about, well, if we're running a race, if we're running a race, it is much easier to run that race on flat, level ground without any obstacles. The problem is, is that the author continues the thought that he had earlier in chapter 12, and Pastor Doug talked about it last week, that when it comes to our race, sometimes it requires that we throw off hindrances, that we set aside sin. We start to make a level path for ourselves to run on. And so he continues that thought here in verse 13, that making those level paths means that I start to remove things from my life. There are times that we run our race and those obstacles can be huge boulders. And for whatever reason, we find more comfort in running that race through all of those boulders than we do in starting to remove those things that hinder or stop us from running the race. The author of Hebrews says, to endure means that you start to remove things from your path. You start to pick up those rocks and set them aside, not by your own strength, but through the power of God in you. He's the one that starts to help you remove some of those hindrances. And as we looked at, I'm not just removing those hindrances, I'm replacing them with things that God would desire for my life. He also says that as you make a straight path, there is healing. And I think this is important for us to capture because it is very easy to live with the, the boulders and rocks that are in our lives and to try to run those races with those. And what can happen is we say, well, it's just, a, it's just a little bit. I just tripped a little bit. I just twisted my ankle just a little bit on that rock. I can continue to run. And then the next rock comes up and it twists my ankle just a little bit more. And I'm saying, I'm going to run, I'm going to run. And, and now I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of galloping along. What happens when we start to remove the things from our paths? There's healing that starts to come into our lives. Healing for our soul that we didn't even know was necessary. Some of those things that we start to remove, we start to say, man, I start to feel a little bit different. There's something happening because God's strength and his power is helping me to move from this to this. There's healing that comes. I knew that on my vacation that as I walked those paths, the more I walked, the better my back felt. Now it was challenging at times, but I knew that healing was coming the more that I took care of it. Now in that that journey on our vacation, if I decided, hey, you know what, my back's feeling great, I'm going to climb the redwood tree in front of me, I don't know why I would do that, that's crazy, they're super tall, I, I would risk hurting my back even more. But the more care that I took with it, the better it felt each and every day. And the same's true in our lives. As we run this race that God has laid before us all to run, the endurance that we need sometimes is to start to remove those hindrances, those obstacles, not only for our spiritual growth, but also for our healing. We carry all kinds of things. Our boulders can be all kinds of things that we looked at this past summer. Those challenges that we looked at, they can be 
tiny little pebbles, they can be huge boulders in our lives. And we can choose to either run the race with those things in front of us or through God's grace, we can start to remove those. And our path becomes level and we start to see, man, there is healing that is coming to my heart. My love for for God is growing, My, my forgiveness towards others. And as we look at the rest of this chapter, these verses this morning, we start to see what it looks like to live a holy life. You see, the charge before us is is to finish. Run to the finish. And so often what happens is as we go through our lives as Christ's followers, we hit those boulders, we hit those rocks, and we say, well, God must not be in it. And so what I do is I move away from him. I start to move further and further away from him. And yet when it comes to endurance, our charge is to move closer to him not further away from him. But there's not only just the charge, but there's also a challenge that the author gives us, starting with verse 14. There's a charge that he gives us as well in in the challenges of living holy lives. And I want to spend the rest of the time kind of unpacking these things. And the first of those in verse 14 is to pursue character over conformity. Pursue character over conformity conformity. Here's what the author says in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So value, pursue character over conformity. And what I want you to see in that verse is not to achieve peace with everyone. That's not what the author says. He doesn't say achieve peace with everyone. He says pursue peace with everyone And then it comes back to holiness. These two things, peace and holiness, go hand in hand. Be sure to see that in these verses, it is not achieving that peace with everyone, but rather pursuing peace with everyone. And there is a twofold aspect to this pursuit of peace. Not only is pursuit of peace with those outside of the church, but also a collective as the church to pursue peace. This means peace is pursued with all people in whatever circle they might run in. And individually, collectively, we pursue peace not because of our ability, but because of the holiness we are pursuing. As Doug pointed out last week, the example of our holiness pursuit is Jesus. He is holy. And so in faith, we are called to holiness as well. And holiness is, is tricky for us because uh, we think in terms of holiness as being perfection. I have to be perfect. And, and true holiness, if you look at the writers of the New Testament, speak often about holiness and what it is to be holy. And Jerry Bridges, who wrote a book called The Pursuit of Peace, summarized it this way. Holiness is this. To live a holy life is to live a life in conformity to the moral precepts of the Bible and in contrast to the sinful ways of the world. Now, when I said character over conformity, let me add some adjectives to that. Godly character over worldly conformity. Our pursuit of holiness is to pursue godly character, the things of God. So the question becomes, how are you pursuing holiness? The initial steps of holiness are the accepting of the saving grace of Christ. 
This initiates our pursuit of holiness, but is simply the beginning and then becomes the process in our race toward the goal of Christ's glory shown through us. As I pursue holiness, the pursuit of peace becomes an imperative with others. I may not achieve peace with everyone, but the holiness I desire leads me to extend peace within my circles and outside. The first thing, pursue character over conformity. Second principle we see in verse 15, pursue community over isolation. Pursue community over isolation. Here's what he says in verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Pursue community over isolation. You know as well as I do what it is to have people that are surrounding you and caring for you. People that are looking out for your best interests. People that are looking out to tell you when you need to hear something that you're not willing to hear from anybody else. Endurance in our faith relies on having a community. The encouragement to our endurance is those in faith that we surround ourselves with. There's a great encouragement when we have others who will watch and care alongside of us. We see it in verse 15, to to see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. As we walk alongside each other, we're, we're encouraging each other that no one else would fall off the level path that they are, they are making before them. That as they are throwing off hindrances, we are surrounding one another and encouraging them. Not shaming them, but encouraging them. Not guilting them, but encouraging them. You can do it. We saw it in the, the video clip last week of Rudy, right? What it is to have a whole stadium of people cheering you on. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. The, the encouragement that comes from that. The body of Christ is to be an encouragement for one another. Not only those that have come to faith, but those that are outside the faith. We're to encourage, to strengthen one another. You're to be cheering each other on. You're saying, you can do it. We can, we can do this together to strengthen each other. Each of us needs the reminder that the grace of God is an ongoing daily need. And as I'm reminded of my need for God's grace, then within the body of Christ, I'm able to extend that grace to others. Beginning next week, Scott's going to uh, start a series looking at what it is to be aligned as an individual and as a church. How is it that we align with God's purpose as a church and as individuals? And where we find unity is in the grace of God. It aligns us to the purpose and will of God. It's His grace that has once has pardoned all my sins, but also is freeing me every day. And as a church, we want to be those who are watching over one another through God's grace, whether it be in a particular area of ministry, it's in a life group, it's serving, it's those connections that provide the opportunity to watch and care for others. As you gather together, not just on Sunday morning, but in areas of ministry to serve alongside of one another, as you meet in life group and you, you sit down with 10 or 12 other people, you are encouraged by the stories they share and the stories you share and the, you come around God's grace and His love for you and you say, man, I can endure through God's grace and mercy together 
as a body we come together. But the community of faith is more than just ensuring no one falls short. But the other motive within the community is so no bitterness or trouble or slandering of others will take root among believers. The author says when bitterness left when bitterness is left to bring, it brings division and dissension within the body of Christ. And that bitterness has caused many to quit the race, to forfeit the joy of their salvation, not only for themselves, but others as well. Instead, as we live out the grace of God in community, rather than in isolation, it causes our relationships with God, our relations with God and others to flourish. And so, if, you, if your bitterness is hindering your race, then begin seeking God's grace in order that you might throw aside that obstacle to God's righteousness. If it's a beef you have with someone else, then it is the pursuit of setting aside that hindrance to pursue the grace of God. If it's trouble that you seek to cause within the body due to your own selfish desires and goals, then it's seeking God's grace daily to transform your heart and mind to reflect His will. A third principle we see in verse 16, the third principle is pursue long-term reward over short-term pleasure. Long-term reward over short-term pleasure. Here's what he says in verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Now, if you're Esau in the room, I'm sorry. We're not talking about you this morning. Uh, but you say, what, what, what's wrong with Esau? Like, where did he come from? Like, the author of Hebrews just trying to drops Esau. And uh, what the author is saying is, don't be like Esau. Now, if you grew up as a, in a certain generation of kids, um, there was someone else that we wanted to be like. We wanted to be like Mike. And uh, so every time I would get on a basketball court, I wanted to be Michael Jordan. I wanted to dunk like him. I would stick my tongue out. I got the baggy shorts. I even had bicycle shorts to go underneath it. Everything was, you know, I wanted to reflect. I started wearing a wristband up here on my arm. And uh, so in order to be like Mike, my cousin and I had to drop the, the basketball hoop down to seven feet. And, uh, and we had to get a trampoline to be able to do that. And so I learned early that I wasn't going to be like Mike, okay? No matter how much Gatorade I drank or whatever, I wasn't going to be like Mike. The author of Hebrews here says, don't be like Esau. And you're like, well, what's wrong with Esau? Well, here's some backstory on who Esau was. Esau was a twin. His twin brother was Jacob. In the Old Testament, Jacob and Esau are these twins. Esau is the older brother. He came out first. But it's Jacob who later will have his name changed to Israel. And as the older brother, Esau had a birthright. In their culture, as the oldest, he was given the birthright. The birthright, what was that about? We don't really understand that. We don't think too much about birthright. And we say, well, if Esau gave up his birthright, who cares? Well, for Esau, it was a big deal. Because the birthright meant that if dad died, Esau inherited the family name, the inheritance. He was in charge. He took responsibility for the family. And more than that, the birthright was not just ordained by the families, but it was ordained by God. God had ordained the birthright to say, here's the way that you're going to care for your family. If the, the, the father of the house passes away, then the oldest son takes on the responsibility, the privilege 
of leading that home. God had ordained that. And so when it came time for Esau to have his birthright, Jacob, who's a little deceptive at times, if you read the Old Testament, Jacob comes to Esau and he says, Esau, can I have your birthright? And I'll give you, you can give me your birthright for this wonderful meal that I've prepared for you. And Esau says, sure, Jacob, take my birthright. I want this food. Short-term pleasure, long-term reward. There's nothing to indicate that Esau was sexually immoral, but we know sexual immorality is short-term pleasure for long-term reward. Selling our birthright for a meal, short-term pleasure for long-term reward. You see, the pursuit, the endurance that we seek in our lives is long-term reward, not short-term pleasure. And the author of Hebrews says, don't be like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Don't give up your faith for a single short-term pleasure. Now, we know many of us are guilty of taking on those short-term pleasures and forsaking that long-term reward. Listen, this morning, do not hear shame, do not hear guilt in those. Know that God redeems and saves and transforms. The problem is, is that we get comfortable with our short-term pleasures, failing to understand the long-term reward. Doug talked about it last week. If you look at those heroes of the faith, they were faithful to something that they would never see, the promise of Jesus coming to earth to die on the cross for our sins. You and I know that reality. And so it's about the long-term reward. It's about serving God faithfully all the way to eternity. Don't give in to the short-term pleasures. Focus on the pursuit of the long-term reward. Do not be like Esau. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20, Paul gives Timothy a similar kind of uh, challenge and charge. He says this, Timothy, guard what has been trusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in so doing have departed from the faith. Paul tells Timothy, guard yourself. We need to be heeding that, listening to that. Guard your heart. You have heard these things. You're hearing it this morning from the author of Hebrews. Guard yourself because it is so easy to depart from the faith when the challenges come, when the boulders get too big, and God says, I want you to endure. I want you to see it through to the end. We're reminded, be on your guard for the immoral, the irreverent can easily sway you from the race you're running. It doesn't take much. For Esau, it was a simple meal, harmless for sure, but distinguished as irreverent and immoral by God. So don't be like Esau. The final principle in our passage this morning is to pursue repentance over regret. Look what he says in verse 17. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected, still talking about Esau. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Pursue repentance over regret. 
for endurance to be maintained, for those feeble hands and weak knees to be encouraged to finish running, to endure, one must heed this warning. Esau's story does not end with the rejection of his birthright. Later, we're told that Esau went to his father to beg for the birthright back. He had given it away for a meal and he wanted it back. The regret Esau felt was compounded by the actions he had taken with Jacob. Here's the warning. God desires not regret for things we have done, but repentance. And true repentance requires a hatred for sin. Esau's tears alone would not bring about the repentance that he sought in giving away his birthright. It required more than emotion. Now here again, the rest of my story. I was laying flat on the, on the floor, wondering about the trip that I was heading to, the chiropractor visit, all those things. But weeks before I was on the floor face down screaming, my body had been telling me, Matthew, something's not right. There were little tweaks, there were little steps that I would take that I would feel in my back, and I was just like, nah, no big deal. I'll just keep going. The warning signs were there weeks before I was flat on the ground in my house. The warning signs are often there for all of us. And what we tend to do with those warning signs is we just continue to go about our days. It's no big deal. I'll be okay. I'll make it. And before we know it, we've tripped, we've stumbled, and that warning sign that was there has left us flat wondering if we're ever going to get back up. The author of Hebrews shares with us, heed these warnings. Remember, this letter is being written to Christians who were facing the challenges in the midst of suffering and persecution. They were wondering whether they should continue with this faith or go back to their old ways, go back to the things that they knew that were comfortable and and seemed safe at the time and didn't have all this suffering and persecution that was coming with it. And when sin begins to seep into the believer's life, it doesn't take long for us to begin to crave the former things of life. We can come back to God with our emotions, sorry for what we have done, or or we can come to God with true repentance, with a desire to heed the warning of our old self and press firmly into the salvation of Christ. It is here we have to return to our disciplines. For the marathon runner to endure the grind of the race, they have to train for countless miles they will run. The boxer trains not for to go out one round, but multiple rounds in their fight. If they don't, they have little chance to endure the challenge of that race or the match. And it's no different for you and I. We have to return to our disciplines. It is training for the long haul. It it is pressing deep into Christ the joy of our salvation. It is spending time in His Word. It's in the community with other believers. It's in our ministries where we find accountability. The question is not if we will twist a foot or come up lame. The question is when. We will all stumble, fall, get tripped up. And if you have not trained for the race, you find yourself, you find yourself wondering if you can endure the difficulty before you. The gospel tells us that it is not of our own doing that we come to salvation in Christ. The centrality of the gospel is that Christ in his love and his compassion for his creation offered himself 
as a sacrifice for you and for me. It's Christ who endured the indignation of the cross, bled and died so that you and I might have relationship with Christ for eternity. This morning you have a choice to place the endurance of your race in our ability to succeed or we can follow the example of those in Hebrews 11 who through faith in God endured not able to realize the prize but we know the prize to be Jesus. Have you been pummeled in life? Are you weak in the knees? Endurance can be yours when you rest in the saving arms of Jesus. In 1976, there was this amateur small-time boxer who was uh, working for a loan shark, and uh, the heavyweight champion of the world lost his title bout uh, opponent. And so the heavyweight champion of the world picked this lowly kid, small-time amateur boxer to box in the championship fight. The champion, champion boxer was all about the glitz and the glamour, and he didn't take the amateur boxer very seriously. And as they stepped into the ring, the heavyweight champion realized that this small-time amateur boxer had a lot of fight in his heart. And round after round they go, beating on each other, fight after fight, bout after bout, round after round. The, the amateur boxer sits in his corner and, and his, his corner is encouraging him to stop. And he says, no, I will, I will endure. I will continue on. And at the end of the fight, it's a split decision and Apollo Creed is declared the winner over Rocky Balboa. And Rocky Balboa sits, stands at the end of that fight not declared the winner, but winning in his own mind. In fact, the announcer says this is the greatest title bout we have ever seen of endurance of two boxers. And Rocky, with his arms held high, with Adrian wrapped around him, he knows he has endured. And in that bout, in his heart, he was a champion. Church, we have been called to endure to be the greatest exhibition of endurance that the world has ever seen. Not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. It is His strength through us that moves us to endure and to be people who have the greatest exhibition of endurance of all time. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to this moment and we reflect we reflect about our own race, where we find ourselves even this morning. Maybe our path hasn't been so level. Maybe it's been more up and down. Maybe it's been more down than up. And maybe it's been filled with all kinds of obstacles. And this morning, we're wrestling with the challenge of how do I start, continue to move forward? My path seems too much to, to overcome. And this morning, it's simply calling out to you and saying, God, I need you. Begin to move some of the hindrances in my life. Begin to take away these things that I have held so tightly to so that I can run with endurance. Maybe this morning, it's about finding healing, 
healing for parts of your heart that you didn't know were broken or hurting. And this morning, God is crying out to you and calling to you and saying, I want to bring healing to your heart. Maybe this morning you've become comfortable with the boulders that are in your life and you say, I need Jesus. I need to surrender my life and I would need to give it to Him to take a next step to find Him and follow Him with my life. Maybe you've traveled a long time with Him. Maybe you're looking at your race and you you see yourself closing in on the finish line and you're asking yourself, how can I finish well? God, no matter where we are, we all need You. We need You. Because this race that we run, we cannot do it alone. We could try to pull our bootstraps up and we could try to run and and get exhausted. You've not called us to that. You've called us to your character. You've called us to your community. You've called us to repentance. And so, Father, this morning, as we reflect on your word, may we come before you humbly, for it's your love, your grace, that transforms our hearts and minds. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.